In today's episode, Dave interviews Noah Gregoropoulos. Noah teaches at DePaul University. He is directed at Second City ETC and the Second City National Touring Company. Noah has also written for Dharma and Greg and performs weekly at IO Chicago. Recorded on location in Chicago, I'm Ian Foley and this is ADD Comedy. Someone told me that Second City now, or they're planning on something that will increase their uh, their, their enrollment to 4,000 students. Wow. Right? I didn't know that. I, I know that they've expanded their facility and, and uh, <clears throat> laterally expanded what they're teaching, they're doing more. I just feel, I, I just look at what they're doing and I feel like, um, I, I love what they're doing. I've always been a huge fan of them, obviously, my, my history with them. But I think, what it's like having this amount of money, like when do you stop having? When do you go, it's enough money. Right. And I'm not saying they're doing it for the money, but I'm just saying, well, obviously it's a business and they're doing it for the money. But 4,000 students, like right now I think they have 2,000 students. 4,000 students is a private university. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 Um, but is, right. is it lateral into production, into writing, or is it more and more and more improv? I think it's improv, it's sketch, it's music. Okay. Like they've got, a, they've got a, a music track, a musical improv track. Right. Plus, they, I, I don't know what else they have, but there's nothing like it on the planet. I guess not. Right. Are you doing anything, are you having anything to do with, with Sharna's deal? Like her, what's happening with, uh, with I.O. and the move over there? Uh, I'm not involved in the move. I'll, I'll be teaching there once it does. But mm-hmm. it's sort of been on the table for several years now. And... and uh, it's one of those, I know it's gonna happen, but I don't, you know, I don't have any suitcases packed till I, till I see the sign up. Well, that's a shiny sort of thing, Because it's been like too. the third, at least third, like this is absolutely where we're going. You right. Know, it's moved from, from Lincoln Square to Lincoln Park and now to uh, West Old Town, I guess you'd call it. <laughs> I don't it. even know so where that it is. Sort of new neighborhood by uh, Diversity and Clybourne, right. sort of up and coming. Are you still performing? Yeah. Uh, I usually do three shows a week, but one is in a short hiatus while the annoyance moves. Oh, you're doing annoyance. Annoyance. It's an yeah. annoyance show. So Monday and Wednesday I'm at I.O. And Tuesday, uh, Monday is still Armando at I.O. Wednesdays is my Herald team, Carl and the Passions. Mm-hmm. And then Tuesday night is a, is a group of, uh, an improv group that we go up. We're going up at the annoyance on, late on Tuesdays. Uh, and until they're moved in, we, we don't have a space. So... So the annoyance is just sort of when we're gonna we're going to it, there's not an even crossover. It's not like we're we're moving into our new like they're homeless for a while or they're in they're floating. Well, they have they still have their rental classroom spaces in Uptown, mm-hmm. so they have that you know primary gen- generator of, of income while they're doing the renovations. And the new space is larger, so hopefully that will translate into you know, ability to, to, to have more volume, I guess. Right. Um, and they're right at Clark and Belmont. So right. it seems like almost an ideal annoyancey space. It, right, they it got does. all the kids from the parking lot of the Dunkin's Donuts. They're right <laughs> in their wheelhouse. Right, exactly. Right. They're demographic. They're specific oh, demographic. Oh, they're knocking that block down and putting up uh, a hotel. They're knocking that block down? The, 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 the alley and the Dunkin' Donuts and uh, all of the Guitar Center, whatever that, that little Right, 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 right. And, and is that Indian joint still there? Uh, there was a, I, I, oh, or oh, Ethiopian the, joint? 
there was an interview. Oh, Mama Destas yeah. or whatever. I yeah. don't know if it's still there. Uh-huh. Uh, Ethiopian joints had a rough time with the economy. I <laughs> think so. The They're probably the bottom feeders of, of of restaurants to begin with. Well, they save a lot of money on not having to wash uh, silverware. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, it's, it blows me away when I come back to Chicago. Just all the changes that are happening here. It blows me away that the buildings are like blocks are fucking being torn down, and and. But that has been a gradual process. I mean, if you're here, you're not as like, oh my God, it's changed so much, right. quite so much. Right. That's okay. You can deal with that. There's a heliport. This this cafe <laughs> has a heliport. Um, like literally, where where I live right now, I used we used to have a a vacant lot on one side, an old uh, Victorian rehab apartment building on the other side, and across the street was our like laundromat. Right. Quickie Mart, etc. Right. All three of those are 30-plus unit townhome uh, condo developments. And I, I have to now drive. We actually drive over by the Annoyance to do our laundry once every other week. So it's like a little excursion. It's like right. going to Costco. It's our laundry trip. So you're going all the way to Uptown. Yeah, because we used to just go around the corner onto Irving Park. Right. Uh, and then that one got, got mm-hmm. kicked. And that's now a 7-Eleven. Uh, so we literally have to be following the laundry. This is what I'd like for a laundromat to go, and I don't know if you feel this way about laundromats. I'd like for there to be a chain of laundromats called Laundromats for the Rest of Us, so that your child who's walking on the drying table uh, with his, his child shoes isn't allowed in that laundromat. Got you know, it. Right? Got it. You know, that okay. basket that I throw my clean clothes in, the dog that you have in that basket, isn't allowed in that place. Right. It's sort of, you can also call it Logic Laundry. Let's just be logical laundry. And what the fuck are you doing, laundry? Or this isn't what the fuck are you doing, laundry? Sure. I guess I sort of, once you've driven three laundromats away to get to the laundromat, you know, some of your elitism goes out the I door. It. it does too, but I, yeah, I would think that because I go to a laundromat really far away from where I live because I don't have to deal with those people who are eating Kentucky Fried Chicken right. on the folding tables. And people have heard me bitch about this before. Yeah. But I don't care because I feel like, what the fuck are you doing? Well, there's like a uh, an underground black market in the laundromat I go to. There's guys who wander around with bootleg DVDs and stolen gym socks that they sell out of a hefty bag. So you can't leave that place. You can't trust them. To, you can't just go, I'm going to go across the street and get a cup of coffee or something in the laundromat. Uh, look at me, Dave. He who steals my clothes steals trash. <laughs> I'll have to add a picture to the uh, to this so those people who don't know you can take a look at that. Yeah. Um, do do you what have you noticed was like one of the, one of the biggest things that has changed around this, this not just the area but say the the world of the creative world that you're living in right now. Uh, size has changed. Obviously, when when uh, we were doing I.O. at the cross currents or whatever, we right. were, we were a counterculture glad to have as many people in the audience as we're on stage you know it's like you could you had about a 40 percent cancel rate right uh, shows or right. what have you which gave you a certain freedom um and with that some of that was fertile and some of that was could become self-indulgent as well right I and mean, obviously there was no uh there wasn't really much of a barometer of how you were t- <laughs> but at the same time that really helped i think in that you could fuck around and not worry about somebody 
you, right. you, you can learn your voice. You can, you can learn your yeah. voice in that way. You had a lot more elbow room for your voice to be unique rather than imitative. Mm -hmm. And I think when you have, uh, you know, we, IO's is not, not nearly the size of Second City, but probably the biggest sort of long-form improv place in town. Right. Uh, and we might graduate 70 students every two months. And they're, when I started teaching that level, all of the students came in, all dozen of them came in already performing. Right. And these are people still waiting to see if they're going to get to perform right. 14 months after they entered the program. Uh, so it's like now it's at seven or eight levels of classes or something, at something I. O. like that at I.O. Well, and, and what do you know what the... the, the the superstition is about having a level six anywhere? No. Is so there a superstition? Well, I noticed you never have a level above five. You just add Bs to the lower oh, level. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do that. One, two, three, four, four B, five, five B. Don't do it. So Don't do six. Six is like, that's too do. much. No, that's too no, many classes. No. No. But I think that, at, at, um, I think they have a level six or something like that at the Groundlings. Oh. I think the Groundlings have something like that. But, it just but that's when you learn how to work with agents and managers. <laughs> exactly. Or you really learn how to deal with your anxiety of working with, with, without having agents and managers. Because I think in L.A. it's such a fucking different feeling than it is out here. Now, you were in L.A. for how long? Six months. Six months. And you had enough. Well, I, I didn't still have the job I went out there to do. It wasn't like I, my intention had never been, gee, I want to live in L.A. Mm -hmm. It had been like, here's a great job opportunity. I should, I should see where it goes. Would you explain to me what your job was? I was a staff writer on Dharma and Greg for ABC. Right. And, and tell me how you got that job, because I don't really remember it. It, seems, it seemed like there was... It seemed like it wasn't a standard way of getting No, not, not at all. Uh, a guy who was uh, a writer on the show had moved up a little bit through the ranks, mm -hmm. uh, gave me a call. Who was that? Eric Zicklin. Oh, yeah, yeah, Eric. Eric. I had known him indirectly through, uh, he had been like college friends with Matt Besser, mm -hmm. and we stayed at his apartment in, uh, in New York a couple times and then hung out when he was in Chicago, etc. And he called and said, there's this, you know, there's position opening up and would I be interested? And I was like, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't have really any experience at all in screenwriting, right, stage right, writing, right, whatever. Right, 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 right. I mean, I'm an improviser who, you know, can turn a phrase if I have to. <laughs> uh, and he's like, okay, well, you, you'd have to probably talk to uh, my boss, uh, the, the creators of the show. And... Uh, one of them called me, or, or I don't remember, I called, or, or he gave me a number and I called and I talked to Dottie Dartman, who was right. with Dottie Dartman. Mm -hmm. right. And she talked to me wow. for about 20 minutes about surfing in Ireland. Right. And then said, well, I was going to have to. Which you are very familiar with. Which I'm very familiar with, both Ireland and surfing. <laughs> uh, and it was kind of like nothing really came of that. And then she said, well, you, you'll have to probably talked to, to my co-creator. Uh, you, so you haven't submitted anything? No, not yet. I, I, I have not yet done anything but talk on the phone. I'm in so Chicago. So if you were hired, you could, right now you would have had a perfect job interview if you were applying for the job of talking on the phone. We're talking on the phone. Talking on the phone to someone I didn't know about something I didn't know about. <laughs> so, uh, but she seemed like a very nice lady. 
said, you're gonna have to talk to my uh, co-creator, uh, Chuck Lorre, who everybody knows now from, mm-hmm. from firing Charlie Sheen. So me and Charlie Sheen have been fired by the same guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so, wildly different circumstances. But, uh, so I... Uh, wildly, wildly. Literally got, uh, I was at the time I was directing a resident company show at the ETC. Mm-hmm. And it was the morning after our cast party of opening night. Mm-hmm. So well, we might have had a few too many the night before. But mm-hmm. It was a kind of a late morning, and mm-hmm. I get a call from a woman who says, uh, are you available to take a call from Chuck Lorre? Um, did, so at that time, he was just a guy? Yeah, I don't know who that was. Did you, did you do any, at the time, it must have been difficult to do research about people. You know what I mean? Because there was, I there gone, was an internet then. but <laughs> Right, but what I'm saying is, you the, the 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 research that that what that people do now is so different than the research that people did back then about finding out for me how long ago was this well it would have been 98 so i mean right now for me google is 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 available and you can look right, at a lot of the material right. that he's done and those sort of things but but back then i don't know that you would have done that though i guess my point is this did you know the prestige or did he not have that prestige that he had before oh he had it i mean he had he had he already had roseanne and sybil and my two dads under his under his belt mm-hmm. he had a lot of cachet and did that but affect, i didn't know who it was okay but that didn't affect you going oh my god this is this guy and i gotta be nervous i about didn't know it. what the, i didn't right. know what the call was at first it was kind of like weird i've never gotten a call on someone's behalf uh-huh. you know like the secretary calling to see if you're there before he bothers to right, pick right. up the phone kind <laughs> right, of, kind right, of thing. It's right, like, right. Uh, so i was a little bit confused it was groggy in the morning i was like what who uh, from ABC, Darman and Greg, and Fox Studios, whatever. And I was like, hey, yeah, hello. I was thinking, oh, yeah, that call from Eric. So I talked to him for a little while, but it was a lot of, um, so you know, what are you doing? I, I do a lot of improv. What kind of experience you have? I really don't have any writing experience. Uh, I'm an improv guy. Um, and he goes like, well, he said, is there any way I could see samples of your work? And I go, I'd really rather not do that because I don't have any. <laughs> And he goes, like, I don't know how I could possibly hire you or know anything about you without meeting you in person. I said, okay, then. I thought that was the end of it. Well, that's what I would think, too. And then about 10 days later, I got a call from the same secretary asking me when I wanted to fly out for my interview. It was right when Dave Keckner was getting married, and he was having a bachelor party in L.A., at Tommy uh, Bergen's or whatever that place. Tom Bergen's. Tom, Tom Bergen's. The late Tom Bergen's. The late Tom Bergen's. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I said, well, can, it, can I go this Friday and I'll stay through the weekend? <laughs> kind of like light it up. So basically, I, cause I wasn't going to be able to go to that party because I could afford to fly to LA then. So I was like, all right, fine. And it, it didn't really progress much from there. I don't think the interview, the, I flew out there, went to this interview with the two of them. Uh-huh. What happened in the interview? Well, it was a lot of, um, you know, are you familiar with the show? I said, no, nah, I can't say that I've seen it. So not only did <laughs> I said, you I don't know really. how to do the job, but you've never seen the job that you're asked to do. I didn't know the do. show. I said, I really, you know, I, I'd be lying if I said I don't watch a lot of TV, but I don't watch a lot and of... And also, you're not, in the, you're not into the industry that it is that's hiring Well, you. I do watch a lot of TV, but I said I never watch, like, network TV that's right, current. Right, I'm watching right, movies right. and reruns and late right, night. Of course, of course, of course, of course, of course. And... So they said, okay, um, we need to talk. And they sat me in a room. The room had a phone in it. Uh-huh. So I like called up a couple people I had the numbers for in L.A. because I didn't you know, know what I was going to do that night for entertainment. Right. See, see, if, see if like Neil Flynn or somebody was around. <laughs> you know, right. just whatever. 
Uh, and then she sticks her head and goes, you're hired. Oh, my God. And oh, then, my God. Oh, my God. And then they sent me home. I was actually staying at Eric Zicklin and Dave Kackner were staying in that cocaine palace back right, then. Up right, right. That was the Laurel place Canyon. with the with the swimming pool out yeah, the back. Yeah, 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 and yeah. Uh, that's where Dave and uh, and Lee was there, his, his soon-to-be wife. No, it's this, this was... Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But she... Maybe Dave wasn't there yet, man. Maybe it was because Eric was there. No, Dave, Dave lived there. I thought they all lived there. I don't think she'd been moved out to L.A. yet, had she? It was a... I mean, I, don't, I remember I don't that remember. place being exactly a Coke. Like, it was a it 1980s Coke. Yeah, house. it was like a place you'd see on, on Boogie Nights. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. what I was thinking and about. like, James Grace lived there. Right. And a bunch of... One step removed from each other, guys. Kind of. I gotta say, I'm really surprised that not a lot of us, and maybe I just don't know it. Not a lot of us have had drug addictions like that. Maybe over drinking, but we never. And I think it was one of the reasons was we didn't have the money. Right. Right. The ones who are famous are the ones who had the problem. Right. Farley and Andy, maybe. Right. Uh, Yeah. Did Andy, Andy, I guess Andy did have, Andy did. I don't really Andy know did. exactly no, what know. goes on with Andy other than I hear about him in the police blotter every once in a while. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, I've asked him a couple times to be on the podcast and he said yes and then has returned my phone calls, but that's okay. Um, but I have had Mo Collins on the show who has dealt with Andy okay. and like that whole thing going at it and what a fucking mess that is. But we don't have those people. And I, don't, I wonder if it's also a Chicago sensibility that you go, you know, you don't get into the blow, you get into the booze, and that's what you get into. <laughs> right. Right. Well, we're allowed to be fat here. And not have, we don't have to be jolly. We just have to be bears fans. Well, I, I, yesterday, that, uh, yeah, hold on, everybody. There you go. Um, yesterday I was at a bar and it was just amazing how many beers were there and everybody drinking beer and everybody drinking beer and everybody drinking beer. In LA, I don't see that much beer drinking. Right. Uh, I see a lot of white liquor and brown liquor. Mojitos and. <laughs> mojitos. <laughs> got a lot of mojitos. For me, it's a lot of. Uh, it, it's vodka. That's it. Vodka. Are you drinking still? Yeah, yeah. I I, I drink more brown liquor than I used to. Which is what? Irish whiskey. Right. It's my drink of choice. Tom Bergens is the house of Irish whiskey, by the way. In those days, I was still a a Miller Junior draft. There's a bar down the street (laughs) called Molly Malone's. That's the home of Irish whiskey. I don't know if they've ever like been crossing the street, Tom and Molly, and going, "Fuck you! I got the house. You got the home." Yeah. But we didn't drink that much. I mean, back then, we certainly didn't drink any of the brown liquor, the, uh, the white liquor. We didn't. We didn't have any money, so we drank the cheapest beer we could get. Right. And, and then there was a fair amount of, of herbal. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. When you were dealing with, you know, dealing with, with, uh, with Dell and how much like, pot smoking Dell did, right. you know, it's certainly, uh, oh, my God. Have you gotten high and, and performed? In my life? Well, I mean, certainly not recently, I wouldn't think, but I remember I have. And yeah, well, I wasn't, I wasn't a huge pot smoker. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my drug background was a little bit of pot and mostly, like, LSD. Right. 
you so know. you did how much LSD, how much acid did not you do? Not a lot. I mean, who can do a lot of acid unless you really want to? Well, I've done it. acid twelve times. I know because I did acid at least twelve times because I went to twelve great people dead shows. Fifty and, years. Yeah. <laughs> but did you feel? This is the way I used to feel about about acid. I felt like everybody should do acid in order to experience that. In order to 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 experience what 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 that oh, this is going to sound so California like what that soul listening is that deep listening that watching right I used to think yeah. like yeah. noticing shit yeah I mean by comparison to you know it's, it seems like a big deal but uh, it's not like you sit down and you drop acid and go like oh we're gonna get some more acid. It's not like like movies like, where you're, no, you're rushing to the. It's like oh, the minute we're done with the acid, it's like oh, one thing I want to do is let's get one. Let's go to one of those three a.m. acid bars. Exactly, exactly. And the guy in the corner, just like who who's dosing out doses, and you go. I I I remember. I haven't done it in such a long time, but I remember improvising and doing acid. I remember going to Grateful Dead show, tripping and bumping into Dave Pasquese, who was also tripping at the Grateful Dead show. Uh, like, Jesus Christ. But it changed the way that I looked at the world. Yeah. Yeah. In a good way. It certainly made you not assume that what you see is what you get all the time. Right. <laughs> and, and it makes you look at things in a different, a, yeah. a different way. You can unfocus to refocus, you know, in a, in a cool way. We get very linear in our thinking. We right. project our sort of storytelling instinct onto things that aren't linear or narrative or particularly satisfying. Right. And if we can, if we can allow ourselves to look at them for what they are, different kinds of, you know, I think the idea of pattern making and look for, for things that resonate rather than tell a story sometimes can be a an interesting alternative way to look at the it's world. It's that all, yes, of the world. Uh, not just of theater, but it's an interesting way of looking at the world. Because I know, I know for me, as I've gotten older, what I've realized is, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, is the idea of what's your story and what is the story that you think it is that you are. Right. You know, and how much of that are you holding on to? And how much of that are you willing to go, that's just my fucking story. And yeah. the moment that I go, I'm going to let that go and see what happens right now. If I want to start over right the fuck now, this is when I can start over. You've done that. I mean, didn't you do that with U.S. Robotics? Am I remembering that story correctly? Oh, yeah, kind of. You mean it was just like quitting a, a fairly decent day job right, exactly. to, to, be, to, but, be, to be broke for a couple of years? But it was, but isn't... I mean, even way back then, this is what, 90, late 80s? That would be 80, late 80s, 86, 87. So you were at, if I remember correctly, you were at US Robotics and then you started taking improv classes. Yeah. And then that, what, and that had a shift for you? Yeah, or? well, I, I knew I didn't want to keep doing what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that would have ended one way or another. But, because I was have at least something new going on I didn't see it as a career I just saw it as something to do you right. know uh, the career being US Robotics or the career being I, improv I mean improv. obviously I didn't think that, oh if I do this I could make a living at it it wasn't like right <laughs> nobody seemed people seemed to pay to do this rather than to get paid exactly <laughs> exactly uh, but it was like you know what I can I, I don't have to stay stuck in this thing I, I started working there out of desperation I had a what were you doing uh, when I started right, doing like U.S. How did you robotics, get that job? Yeah. Um, a roommate hired me. Mm-hmm. It was at, we had all been in college together, 
I'd been, you know, out of college for a couple of years, I guess, maybe. Um, and I was broke. I mean, literally, I had the money in my pocket was the money that I had. Where were you living? Uh, up in Evanston. Where? Up in Evanston. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, uh, between the apartment I was in and a house down the street from us, a lot of people who had been in school together all still sort of were in touch. What school was that? Northwestern. Uh-huh. And you'd got a drink in Northwestern from what? In what? Uh, film. Uh-huh. Which I used. Okay. Not at all. <laughs> right. I did film. My film was, I was a photojournalist. Okay. So okay. I did this film. radio, TV, and film. Right. In the speech department. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, we used to study in Annie Mae Swift Hall, which we called Annie Hall. That's interesting to me, is radio, TV, and film? Is that what you said? Yeah. None of those is what it was back then yeah. at all. The media, radio isn't media, what it was. Uh, TV, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like radio, TV, and film, you might as well say gramophone, Model T, and Grover <laughs> yes, Cleveland. Right. You know? Now they just call it tape, tape, and tape. Exactly, but you don't even call it tape. Tape or card, card, and stick. <laughs> tape. So you, you all were doing that, and were you living with anybody that you're in contact with now? I mean, were you... Yeah, actually... Um, one roommate at the time is a PhD now and works in, in uh, social policy administration, essentially the higher ends of social work. Uh, here in, in, in Chicago? Up in Evanston. He's back uh-huh. up in Evanston. But we, we, we lived in a couple different places. Another friend of mine from the, uh, the house, the guy who hired me lived. We still are friends. We see each other every other year. Mm-hmm. Kind of mm-hmm. like so there'll be some, we'll all watch a, a Bulls game together or we'll all... Uh, get together because somebody's in town. Another right. friend of us from that little clique went on to become a journalist. A journalist that, that, I, that like a, a journalist in a like newspaper now or? He, he's, he's actually the uh, editor of, uh, he's the managing editor of uh, the Washington Monthly, which is a paper he used to write for. And he, uh, he and his brother bought it when it was doing badly uh, a couple of years ago. And now he runs that. But he was, he was like a speech writer for Clinton for a little while, mm-hmm. something like that. So he was in town. We'd all like get together at a restaurant and, right. and hang out or something right. like, something like that, that kind of thing. Um, so what were you doing at US Robotics? Well, that's one of those weird things. Where I started literally on the loading dock. Uh-huh. And I was employee number 30. You were employee number is, is it still around? Oh yeah, it's huge. It's huge. Then it was a, then it was in a long space over 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 by Oprah. Right. right. What was now? Oh, it was by Oprah. When Oprah wasn't even there yet. I thought it was over on McCormick. Yeah, there was yeah, one yeah. On McCormick. I moved it up there. Uh-huh. So I started out unloading boxes. Uh-huh. In a year, it, there in a year later there was an employee number three hundred. Okay, and I had like a couple of departments under me, and I started moving up into non non labor departments. Right. I was managing a, a team of, uh, of engineers designing all the test equipment. I had no idea what they were doing. I just would point and smile. <laughs> it was like the story of my life. Why don't you come and do this? So it's sort of like you're, you're the Peter Principal and Zelig and Away and all these other things, but not Peter Principal. It's like someone goes, you yeah. want, well, you're yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. it just sort of you. grew up under me. Right. You know? It's like... It's like, you know, they, they, so I was in, in a management position. But you, for you were saying yes to all these things, too. Yeah. You never yeah. said, I'm not going to do it. Like what happened with, uh, with La- what's his name, Laurie? Chris, Laurie? 
Chuck Lorre. Chuck Lorre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what I so um, it, like what happened with that? You didn't go. No, I can't do that. You yeah. went. All right, this is happening to me. If it I was, happens, I never it, faked it. I was upfront that I didn't. Right, know what but I was if it doing. happens, it happens. If it doesn't yeah. happen, it doesn't happen. Yeah. And I think that that's something that actually comes with which that comes with. I'm gonna say maturity, but it also comes with experience where you go. You know what? If this isn't meant to happen. It's not going to happen. And it's but not the end of the world if it goes a different direction. That's exactly it. We're, we're, well, I was sitting with an interview. I was sitting for an interview the other day. Um, somebody at IO, somebody co- contacted IO and, and said they want to work with um, Japanese freshmen in college from Japan to come to IO. These people want to do voiceover work. These people at I.O. want to teach them, I and mean, they want I.O. to teach them how to open up a little more and to improvise and let loose, you know? Okay. And I told them, and I sat with this woman for an interview, and it was clear that what I teach and my philosophy does not work that way at all. And yet, I didn't, I didn't go, but wait a minute, I know that you might not think that this could work, but to go, this isn't meant for me. Right, right, right. <laughs> It sounds like an awful fucking job. Not what you're doing, but the Japanese thing. Because we'd work through a translator. Okay. So, yeah. It sounds horrible. Yeah. Usually, usually some decent amount of English is a second language almost everywhere you go. But not, not These people know some, but they don't know much. Okay. It sounds horrible. So what? The, so when did you? So you got up to this. You you were you were there working. There's there's employee number three hundred. You're still thirty. You're moving up. You're pointing to engineers and going this 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 yeah. and this. And at that time, you then took classes at IO. Yeah, I started. I, I, I had a girlfriend at the time, and one of the things we used to do was go see the free improv sets at, at Second City. Uh-huh. And who was there? Uh, it would have probably been around the time of. Police Academy people, so like uh, Kevin, Kazerinsky. Tim, and I don't know if Tim was there, but there's a, uh, you know, you'd occasionally see like uh, Mary, uh, Mary Gross, Mary Gross, or something like that. Uh-huh. I think maybe Jim Belushi had just left, right? Uh, so it was that that kind of era, of right. John Capelos, etc. Right, was around. Um, and seeing one, thinking, oh, this is fun, it's free. Yeah. We were kind of bohemian at the time. Uh, Went the set went two days in a row, and it was back before they used to tell you that the sets were not necessarily improvised. Improvised, they were working the scene for the uh-huh, set. Right, they just say, right. and so the, and they would, you know, they would take a suggestion and say, you know, based on your suggestion right. of, of meatballs, we take you to the subway tunnel in Schenectady, and uh, and do the scene that they've been working on, which is a perfectly right. fine way to work. But why lie about it? You know, I know, I, I know. And we were sort of disenchanted by the lie being exposed. Like right. we just saw that we were so impressed how well they improvised that scene two nights in a row. Uh, so we were like, ah. and then we saw some ad for uh, this improv show at Crosscurrents. Didn't know what it was. Do you? I don't remember how I got to Crosscurrents. I do not remember how it was I got an to Crosscurrents. There was an ad. She found the ad, so let's go. Because I don't. I remember just leaving this one company that I was with, not knowing anything about Dell or Sharna, and going there and going, "I'm ready. I'm here." I don't. And it's one of those things where you go, "How did I get there? Who did I talk to to get there?" Yeah. And, and, and you know, we're going back. We are go- granted. We're going back. Um, Eighty-seven. So it's at twenty. Twenty. 26 25, years? 26 years ago. Yeah. It might have been 86. So. 
So you go over there. I go you over go there. To, uh, see a show. You were probably in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty sure. It, I, well, we went more than once, but uh, I know I saw Pasquazzi because that was the thing that kind of went like, I think that I could clearly know what he's telling him what to do. Right. And he's really smart. Right. And I was like, ah, no middleman. Yeah. Smart. Right. That's, what does that mean, no middleman? You're saying? Uh, the middleman, the, per- the person who, the editor, the director. Oh, right. I see. They have I very see. little effect on the impression. Especially then. You know, when right. Ferrisburg kids would go on for an hour. Um, We'd all go on for, for 40 minutes. For 40 minutes. And, uh, and I, you know, I enjoyed it, but my girlfriend said, it was when Sharna would get up the end and hawk, hawk classes at the end of right. the show. And uh, my girlfriend at the time said, you have to go take classes. You have to do that. I was like, oh, all right, whatever. And she kind of pushed me into it. And that was the same thing. I walked in, I had no idea what Sharna was talking about, who Dell was. The, the, you know, she was, she was all in a tizzy because the wire, wired had just come out or whatever, the blue shit. Oh, book. right, right, I right. I know, I didn't care about any of that shit. No, 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 no. What? Can we start? You know? Right. I stuck with it and it worked out all right. Who was your first teacher there? Was De- it was Sharna? Sharna? It was Sharna. The only teachers then were Sharna and Dell. I, I, I skipped Sharna and I went right to Dell. And which might have been a good thing, might have been a bad thing, but I had no idea what I was doing. I had no, I never, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I had no idea. When you when you end up writing on, uh, uh, on, on when you end up going out to LA, what was that learning curve like? Well, uh, I was pretty, I wouldn't say intimidated, but it was very difficult to feel your bearings in that situation. A, because it was overstaffed, so mm-hmm. it was a situation where they had about three or four more writers than they needed, mm-hmm. and they would send three or four of us out to like the kids' table because there were too many people in the writers' room. Right. So three days out of four, you're sitting out on the porch wondering when the axe is going to fall, talking about possible story ideas, and, and, and with, with three other people who are... I wasn't into the whole competitive L.A. thing. I didn't really know how... People were basically pre-knowing, saying a, a, pre, a preemptive no to your ideas for one or another reason. I'm going like, okay, I haven't pitched to anyone who has any clout, but I'm already getting the no, you know. Uh, so a lot of that was, <laughs> I think you were walking into a situation, just ready to. You were walking into a situation, wondering when you were going to be fired. I didn't really think about it that much. Uh-huh. I'm mean, still fired. It surprised me when it happened. Um, it did surprise you when it happened. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, it was it was a timeout thing. You know, you had X. You know, it was like 13 weeks, and then you had to re up you for uh-huh. another 13 weeks or not. Right. And they didn't. And they didn't. They didn't re up. Did you. anybody talk to you about? Um, oh no! Listen, I'm on the phone, but just come into my office. No, no, I had, a, I had to go with the two, Dottie and 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 uh, uh, Chuck told me together, and they were more like, ah, "This is a hard conversation. I really appreciate your work." <laughs> Did you get anything on? Did you get anything on? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was no um, individual story assignments there. Right. It was Everyone sat in the room and basically improvised the episode Got off it. of a, a step outline. Right. And we improvised the step outline. Uh-huh. So if you weren't there for the genesis, the step outline, you get called into the writer's room, you're kind of there, and then, you know, you're looking at this handwritten step outline up on a dry erase board, trying to be, you know, 
supportive, but not really knowing what he's even going on in the episode. <laughs> so you wind up doing like tossing out quips. Yeah. <laughs> it is that really. I know exactly what you're talking about. We're kind of just catching up. Yeah. But you're not even really catching up. Yeah. And it was weird. And 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 I thought, you know, looking back on it, I sort of kicked myself for not saying I should have just kind of gone in rhinoceros style because if I knew I wasn't going to be there in 13 right. so one episode I sort of did they, they had lost faith in an episode they were halfway through writing and I was in the room long enough to get a handle on what it was they were trying to do and it was a little surreal and I just got up and told them why the episode worked and what they had to do to make it work and everyone was kind of like yeah yeah it was kind of one of those days where like eh, Dottie started calling me and I go you really saved that episode or whatever or something oh. like that and it was like whatever you know did you see yourself, did, did you start to see yourself as a writer? Did you start to see yourself, did you start to think of yourself like, this is what I'm going to be doing for a while? Or did you go, I'm just doing this for now? I, I, I don't ever look that far down the road. You don't ever, in your life, you don't look that far down the road? No, you look far enough down, you'll see your grave. And that's the only thing that's for sure. That would be a good <laughs> thing on your tombstone. I saw this coming. Um, I agree with that. I totally agree with the idea of why plan that thing I mean, the idea of I am here right now, it's also celebrate that thing that you have right now because you're probably, I'm, I'm, for me, I would go, I fucking can't believe I'm here. And if you want to go, I can't believe I'm here, what the fuck am I doing here? This is not going to last very long. I'm fucked. You're fucked. Right. Yeah, I enjoyed the time. It was fun to watch, you know, as mediocre as the product may have been. Mm -hmm. It was fun to watch all the people and, and mechanics involved in going from sitting around a, you know, a, a table read on a Monday right. to, to finish product, just, just, just like I imagine an architect looking at his plan and then seeing the building up, right. is uh, uh, there was a satisfaction in that regardless of the, the quality level of the show, right. people who are doing their jobs are doing it well, the actors were doing their jobs well. Right. Uh, you know, the, Every guy who had to make a microphone not quite hit somebody in the forehead when it, when it shot down at him right. between, between the takes. Um, you know, knew their stuff, and it was fun to watch that organism that ultimately the whole thing was right. come into being, you know? I, when, you, when you said architecture, the architect, it really made me think about what you do and what I do. The, uh, I mean, certainly when we teach, but, also, but certainly when we improvise, but also when we teach. The, the thought of us not really having an expectation, having an intention, but not an expectation, to be able to go, okay, uh, not having an expectation, going, it has to look like this, you right. know, whatever it is it's going to be. But an architect, does an architect say, it has to look like this? Well, maybe more than we do, because it, it, nobody gets killed if ours falls down. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that scene doesn't go well. It's like, oh my God, someone's going to die. Someone's going to literally, die. Literally. There'll be exactly. massive lawsuits for the exactly. rest of our life if but that I, scene I, goes badly. I think with architecture, because I, I look at it saying, yes, it's a science and yes, it's a math problem, but it's also a creative right. thing as well. And to look at that creative thing and go, okay, that building looks like that. Is that, does, did the architect have that in mind? And go, it's got to look like that. Because I think that in the world of art and expectation, probably an architect has the expectations that you and I don't have. Possibly so, I think. I don't know. I don't know if someone who's like a, 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 sh a person who, who's 
on top of the whole thing and is used to how all these people do their job, right. may have a little more of a, a precognition of what that thing's going to look like right. than uh, sitting around the coffee house banging on your screenplay and hoping somebody makes it. And then, then seeing it and being horrified that they used, you know, uh, Fox, what's her name, Megan Fox, as the woman who was supposed to be the, the tortured co-ed. <laughs> Can you get someone a little more pear-shaped? <laughs> are you, are you, do you write at all? Yeah, I mean, I write it here and there, but I'm not a professional writer, right. you know. Did you try your hand at it when you left there? Uh, Did you try to get another job? I tried to get, I tried to actually talk to one of the agents that had been pursuing me while I had the job and were no longer interested in talking to me. It was just like, you know, the Kevin Bacon in the big picture, you know? Right, exactly. Oh my God, that big, the big picture. There's a movie that you don't talk about that, that, one, that people don't talk about, but what a fucking great yeah. movie that was. That was so funny. I remember Carell being totally fascinated by that film and, mm. and like going, oh man, this, I wonder if this is how it's going to be. I wonder if this is how it's going to be. And he is like, <laughs> I haven't thought about that in so long. Him going, I just saw this movie called The Big Picture. We've got to go see it together. And he saw it together. And he saw it twice, I believe. I could be wrong. But he was just, I hope it's not like that. I hope it's not like that. Look at all that worry he had. <laughs> the, the remote control fire. <laughs> was that the movie You? I'm not talking to you. You? I'm not talking to you. Call me. Or yeah, yeah. LA story. No, that's Martin Short. That's Martin Short. It's like you. It was basically Bob Schrader. You ever work with him at Suzanne's A Plus while you were here? No. He's basically that guy. I mean, he's the guy who said to Jimmy Corain, "Jimmy Corain is not a person. Jimmy Corain is a concept." <laughs> And LA is not ready for Jimmy Corain. <laughs> and he was right. He's right. And he was right. I look at Jimmy right now and I go, and I, first I look at Jimmy and I think of Jimmy when I was working with Jimmy at the Grove Olympic. And I look at Jimmy right now and it's like, wow, who's that old guy and whatever happened to Jimmy? Because Jimmy looks like an older man. Right. He, he got Ron Weston. Being thinner. Yeah. And, and, and then we all have gone a bit gray. We all have gone a bit gray. I give you that. I give you that too. I give you that too. And he also, it's the hair. We, all, we are all getting to that place. And it's so interesting to me how many of us are still doing what it is that we're doing. Right. And I also think about the people that I knew when I was doing theater, because I wasn't a theater major in college, mm -hmm. but the people that were doing theater, who were theater majors in college in places that I did in college, I don't know that many of them are working. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is maybe a bit enabling to have this, this art form that uh, you don't have to succeed at to stick around. <laughs> no, no, it certainly is like the level of success that is success in what it is that we do is very low ball. Yeah. But I, I, I know, I don't, the idea that, that, that you and um, you and Susan, who I just finished working with, Susan Messing, you and Susan and uh, you know, so many people that we know that are making a living off of doing this. And I mentioned a right. lot of this where you go way back when, who the fuck would have thought that? And it's what you right. said earlier about, you know, yeah, getting paid, yeah, paying to do it, but getting paid to do it is was just, you know, who did that? Who the right. fuck did that? Right. 
Yeah, I mean, the one, the one thing about the, the growth of the phenomenon is the number of teaching jobs has exploded. Exactly. There's exactly. more than two. There's more, there's more than Charn and Dell. And I always figured that the people that were teaching at Second City, I know, I mean, for a moment I thought this, like, I wonder if they're volunteering. Because it clearly isn't any, you know, it's not, you can't. Hmm. Hmm. You can't. Hmm. But, the, but I know, having just finished teaching two days solid from 10 o'clock to 4 o'clock and then from 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock um, in two days in a row, which is a, a workshop that I just did, it is, it's mind-numbing. Yeah, it's a long day. It is a long day. Yeah. Are you, do you do a lot of side coaching? I do not. Uh-huh. I don't. You I, let people uh, dangle? I know I hate being side coached. And just don't take my so class. I don't like doing things that I hate. <laughs> you don't? Because uh, sometimes you find your momentum within, mm-hmm. you know? And, and what do you mean? Sometimes who finds what? Well, I don't, like, I don't like stopping the progress. Uh-huh. Even finding your way out of something that's kind of a dog can have its value. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, I'm doing a class where they're doing chunks of 30 minutes at a time with 12 people most of the time. So they're not, it's not, you know, after the first first day I do a lot of two-person stuff, but but, uh, they're already, they've already done that. You know, they've spent eight weeks just on scene work and eight weeks just on... In their regular class, you're talking about that to Paul. No, I'm talking about at I.O. At I.O. Because I'm doing the last class in the program and they're going to put a show up. So they're creating new forms. Okay. So it's a little bit... Explorey, brainstormy, right. more than that syllabus. Oh, so you're not right? dealing with people that need to be stopped as often as other people would need to be stopped. Well, I'm dealing with some who do, but I don't want to stop 11 people for the one person that needs to be stopped. Right. I want them to find a way to negotiate through a ship that has some oars that are really bright and shiny and some that have holes in them, right. but they still have to get this boat where it's going. Right. So you're and saying... that means helping each other on stage. I was just about to say that. So those people that need help, it, it's guiding those people over there and... In, in a very in a, guiding those people over there in an organic way so right. nobody's saying oh my god that, need, that person needs to be rescued or right, I gotta right, save the scene right, right. instead of going how do I accept that which is given to me and how do I accept what's happening in that moment and not force a major change on it right right uh, yeah I mean, that's a good way of looking at it and so it's a lot of longer notes after a longer amount of performance, mm-hmm. which can in its own way be a little, I don't want to say exhausting. I don't want to act like I have this hard job. I work nine hours a week for full-time pay, you know? So it's like... <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. But, but you can't... Uh, you can't really zone out. No. And an eight-hour shift... I don't care what you're doing, you can find a time to zone out. Right. No, you can. That's the thing. I love that because that's the thing about about teaching is you can teaching what we're teaching. You can't zone out. But you, I, I do find myself like going. I've said this before, and taking that that zone moment in that moment. Yeah. To go, I've said this before, and the words are coming out of my mouth. I'm going, oh my god, don't get too existential on earth. Everything's going to look like what is that? You know, where you write the word ink, and you go ink. What the fuck does the word ink mean? If you look at it too much, and you know what I mean. <laughs> right. But like, yeah. you do that, and you go, okay, but you got to step away. But that idea of you cannot zone out. 
Yeah. How's your brain memorizing stuff? You know what I mean? When you watch that, when you stop, when, when you stop, because for me, I'll stop a scene and I'll go, okay, what was it that you said? Like, there's a moment where I can't fucking remember what the fuck you just said. Um, I'm all right with it. Uh, I'm all right with it. Sometimes I'll, something more important will happen. I'll forget something I wanted to talk about. Right. And I try not to do a lot of writing down because that, right. that breaks the spell for me right. watching stuff. Right. Uh, generally have a pretty good memory. You can ask me any country in the world, I'll tell you the capital. <laughs> uh, okay, I don't know that I want to do that right now because right. I don't remember any countries right now at all. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. but there, is that, there is that skill that we learn when we teach as much as we teach of listening in a way that the shit stays in the brain, at least in the short, you know, short run, but to remember in that way. And that's one of the great things I love about teaching is what it does to my brain. Yeah. Because it is, I really feel that, it, I mean, they say it's a muscle, I guess, I don't know, maybe someone must, um, that it's a muscle and for me, I'm go- I, I, love the way that my, I love the way that my brain works. I love that it works. <laughs> that it works. That it still works. Right. Yeah. And, and you do catch yourself like in a do loop sometimes. What does that mean? Uh, like, like, a, like, a, like you're having a deja vu. Like you're, I'm saying the same thing about the same thing, and I just right. And I have to sometimes call myself out on that. And what do you do when that happens? I call myself out on it. I don't mind sharing the fact that I'm calling myself out on it. Well, with how do you call yourself out on it? Okay, I say it a lot. What do I mean by that? I'm not even sure right now. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what do you imagine I mean by that? Because uh, I just heard myself say that and I bored myself. So I imagine if I bored myself, I bored you guys. So <laughs> I like to sort of, I don't like to get too much of a cult of personality going. You know right. I mean? No, I'm aware of that. So that's it's just a, always a dialogue. But that's really interesting. Like the idea of not wanting to have that cult of personality. Because I think that what it is that we do, there can be. But I think also having worked with Dell, right. you know, you can look at that and you go, "That's I don't know that I want that. I don't know that I want that." Yeah, I think he reveled in it a little bit, and, and I know did. I have it a little bit. Say that more time. I know I have it a little bit where students are intimidated because I don't, I'm not as, I guess, coached in pulling punches. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think I'm a mean teacher, but. I think you get a certain amount of coddling along the way. Right. That's part of the, you know, the, the shell game of improv training, which is like, how do we keep students going, make them right. feel good about themselves? Or, you know. or the idea of not pulling punches, and people know that Noah will not pull punches because I won't pull punches, Susan won't pull punches. Yeah. Um, but that's one of the things that that I do know about you that in, what, I, what I hear about your teaching is you don't pull the punches. And I feel like I don't know how to teach not, I don't know how to teach without pulling the punches. Right. Because it's not honest to me. Yeah, we're, 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 you asked about the change, change in the work. There's a change in the world away from self-esteem and towards ego where, and again, it's a little bit of a tangent, but we're in a, we're in a world now where you want your kid to get an A, you don't want them to learn math. And I'd rather they learn math and get the A. Right. Uh, and I don't care about people's feelings all that much. I think if you want to feel good about yourself, accomplish something, don't look for someone to tell you how great you are. Wow, that's huge. 
that's exactly the way that I feel about it too. Um, the idea that I'm not looking for a friend, I'm certainly not looking to make an enemy, but I'm looking, my, my service to you, I'm in service to you, and my service to you is to be honest right now in this moment. And, and my intention is never to hurt your feelings. My intention rather is to say, your feelings have nothing to do with what's happening right now. Right. Right, right. And we all know that what just happened wasn't good. And none of us feel good about it. Are we going to pretend it was so we can all move on? No. I think that that's what happens, out though. What when you have a large class, you're going, okay, I've got, this class has so many people in it, we're going to go, how'd you feel about that? Well, yeah, you're right, it wasn't that good. Okay, let's get two more up. Right. I, but I, I think form follows function in that way. The smaller the class, the more we're able to give that attention, and the more right. people will, to, will, will not panic about making a mistake and not getting the note that they need to get about it. Am I making sense in that way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I see that. Uh, and I do not have particularly small classes anymore. Those days are over. Those days are over. I have at least usually twenty, at least in like in my, oh my classes, and then a, a dozen at least in my hall. Right. And those kids, I never know. Yeah, because I have to submit a syllabus. It's it's an overreaching syllabus that I don't even that I put aside and don't deal with. But right. Uh, I imagine in my head this is the easiest class they're having in college, and then I'll see one of them in a bar like that class was hard. I feel like. Are you kidding me? I, I grade on attendance and participation. <laughs> right. 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 And the first thing that you said was attendance. You didn't even say participation. Just showing up is 70 bucks to test. Oh, man. Um, okay, let's end there. All right. Let's end there. Thank you so much. It was a blast. Oh, good. Today's episode was sponsored by GoDaddy. Thinking about starting a new website? GoDaddy is offering one new or transfer.com for just $1.99 for the first year. Go to GoDaddy.com and enter the code ADDcomedy at checkout or click on the GoDaddy banner on our website, ADDcomedy.com. Hello, ADD Comedy Podcast listeners. Dave Rosowski here. First off, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. And second off, if you've ever wanted to take a class with me but thought, gosh, I don't think I'll ever be around where David is, know that you can now take the virtual class at iActing. Just check our website out, and there's a link there. Click on that link, and that will set you up. you got to do a little hunting, but I think that it's well worth it. We'll hear you in your ears. Bye. Thank you for listening to the ADD Comedy Podcast. For Dave Rosowski, I'm Ian Foley. For more information on ADD Comedy, you can visit our website at www.theaddcomedytour.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at ADD Comedy Pod. If you're in the Los Angeles area and you're interested in taking a class with Dave, you can find that information at his website at www.davidrozowski.com. Sound services for the ADD Comedy Podcast was brought to you by Post Apocalyptic.